This is our Sunday school class uh, that's going on right now at New Life Downtown. Uh, I'm Adam Pelser. This is Lindsay Kirchhoff. Uh, I happen to be fortunate to be colleagues um, over at the Air Force Academy. We both teach philosophy. Uh, Lindsay has a master's degree in philosophy from Boston College. I got my PhD in philosophy from Baylor University. Um, and, uh, and, and we love doing philosophy and we love getting the opportunity to share some of what we do uh, with our congregation here at New Life Downtown. We were privileged to be asked to do this uh, by the pastoral staff and uh, they trusted us to come here and um, uh, talk to you about this uh, often difficult and uh, uh, um, controversial subject. Uh, so, uh, so that's what we're going to be doing today, but before we get started, uh, I need to start off by saying, uh, as I said, Lindsay and I both um, teach at the Air Force Academy, and one of the things that it's important for us to do as representatives of, uh, of the Air Force Academy is to let you know that this morning what we're doing is not representing uh, the Air Force Academy, the Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the government. These, the, the views that uh, we're going to express in this presentation are our own um, and not intended to reflect those of the government. Uh, it's an important thing we need to do as uh, employees of the federal government, uh, part of our uh, uh, attempts to um, keep religion free. Uh, this is one of the things that we get to do. So, um, so this is just us talking, and, and, and for that matter, uh, I think it's important to say we're not necessarily representing the views of uh, Pastor Glenn or Pastor Evan <laughs> or any of the other pastors here at New Life Downtown. Uh, like I said, they've trusted us to talk about this, but um, I, I told them, uh, you know, I take full responsibility for any, any heresies or uh, anything uh, that goes against the theology of New Life Downtown. I don't think we will, but... Uh, but don't, don't hold them to what, I, uh, uh, what we share with you this morning. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Lindsay, and she's going to help us remember some of what we talked about last time. This is our second week of the class, and last time we started off with just sort of an introduction to the idea of philosophy and how it's related to uh, Christian thought and the Christian worldview. And so Lindsay's going to help us remember some of what we talked about last time. Okay, so does anyone, can anyone tell me what philosophy is? Don't be shy. I know some of you have had your coffee, so there's no excuse. Okay. The study of wisdom. Or the love of wisdom. So we talked about the etymology of philosophy. Philos or phileo is love, and then Sophia is wisdom. So philosophy, in a certain way, is the love of wisdom. It's, it's a way that we think carefully about big questions that we ask in life. What sorts of big questions do we ask in life that philosophy would address? What is true? What is the meaning of life? Excellent. You all are so good. Even this early on a Sunday, I'm impressed. Anybody else? Any other questions that we address with philosophy? Great point. How can we know what is true? Excellent. And so we talked about how philosophy is the love of wisdom, and we talked about how there are three main subdisciplines of philosophy. The first one is metaphysics, which asks the question, what is real? What is the nature of reality? Then we have ethics, which addresses questions like what is right and wrong? What is morality? And then we have the third one, which is aesthetics and epistemology. Those are kind of two that we have. Aesthetics is the study of beauty, the study of what is beautiful. And epistemology 
um, is, is the study of how do we know what the truth is or how do we know? And so that dovetails really nicely with what you just said. Um, as far as what philosophy is, one of the things that philosophers do and what we want to do as thinking Christians is to examine carefully the assumptions that we have and examine carefully why we believe what we believe. Okay, And what we believe, obviously the part of that is through the scriptures, but we also want to be rational thinking Christians. And that means that we're willing to think carefully about matters that are significant in the world. And today we're going to actually look at some of those things that are significant in the world and we're going to see how philosophy can apply to that. We also talked about some of the dangers of philosophy last time, right? Um, we looked at some of the dangers. Does anybody remember what some of those dangers were from last time? Anybody who was here last Sunday? What are some of the dangers of philosophy? One of the dangers that we, thought, uh, that we talked about was that when doing philosophy, philosophy can demand that we assume or take for granted the assumptions of the secular philosophical community. Okay? That somehow if there's a popular view that's held by many or most uh, people in the, in the secular professional philosophical world, that somehow the Christian needs to assume that if they're going to do philosophy or do it well. Um, yes, Luke? Okay, I think I heard you say that philosophy can make you feel like you know things that you really don't know. And what else can it do? I missed the last part. That's right, it can make you prideful and arrogant, and we need to watch out for that, right? That's my son, by the way, so uh, hopefully, hopefully he's not speaking from experience. <laughs> Let me tell you all the other things philosophy can do to you to make you a bad person. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, 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 it can lead to pride. It can lead to arrogance. I mean, it, uh, part of what you do in philosophy is you learn how to argue cleverly for, um, for your views, and, uh, and, and, and that can lead to a kind of love of winning arguments and a love of being right rather than a love of truth or a love of wisdom, which is what philosophy gets its name from, and so we have to watch out for that. Um, anytime we're engaged in any kind of a discipline that can give us the sense that we've you know, we've sort of figured it out, or we're the enlightened ones, right? Um, uh, that's, that's, that's dangerous, right? And, and I, I mentioned last time, you know, philosophers are clever. I, I've, I've known lots of professional philosophers who are not lovers of wisdom, uh, but, but they are all very, very smart. So they are very, very clever. And, uh, and, and so it's important to watch out for that as we engage in the practice of philosophy, that we not think that now um, somehow we've got it all figured out and we can be overconfident in our own uh, in our own views. Um, but philosophy can also be helpful. What are some of the ways that philosophy can be helpful? What, what are some of the ways that it can be valuable or good in the Christian life? Anybody? You can treat the world and people better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can actually, we talked about last time, it can actually help you develop virtues. It can help you to develop a kind of humility, it can help you develop respect for others. It can help you to develop a sort of a careful mind, right, and a carefully worked out worldview, and 
ultimately, we think that's going to lead to treating people better. Yeah. There's a, I saw another hand over here. Yes, yes. Help you carefully examine what you believe, explain why you believe it, give evidence for it. Yeah, good. Yeah, those are all things that philosophy can help you do. Yes. Help you determine what's true and what is not? Good, yeah. Yeah, and this fits with uh, 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 the Apostle Peter's uh, admonition in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, be prepared to give a defense, right? We talked about this idea of giving a defense or apologetics, right? Uh, the Greek word apologia, meaning give a defense, like a courtroom defense, right? For the beliefs that you have. Be prepared to um, explain why you believe what you believe and why it's, it's, it's not irrational and, and maybe even quite reasonable uh, to believe what you believe. One other thing that we discussed is that philosophy can help you discern and understand secular um, ideas and philosophy uh, better. So what that means is, is sometimes we might think, hey, philosophy doesn't matter to me. I'm not that interested in it. Well, but in fact, philosophy infiltrates everything that we're hearing. Um, all of the inputs we have, whether it's from social media, news media, things we read. And so philosophy can help us understand the roots of some of the thoughts and the popular ideas that are in our world today. So not only does that help you treat people better, but I think it helps you be more articulate with other people who may not share your view, but for you to be able to have a discussion with them and understand, oh, this is where that idea comes from. And being savvy and, and understanding, and I think that's a very important characteristic for thinking Christians. Good, good. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to be looking at a question of knowledge, and in particular moral and spiritual knowledge. That's what we're asking about today. So we're going to think about questions like, can we know anything when it comes to morality, when it comes to religion? And if we can know anything, how might we be able to know it? Um, and we're going to look at some of the popular views in our culture and how they might influence our thinking about whether we can know things in the moral and spiritual realms. Um, so we're going to start off with a game of can it be known? So here's the question. In this game, we're going to give you a bunch of different propositions, a bunch of different claims. And the question is, can they be known? Can somebody know this particular thing? All right? I'm trying to use very vague language here when I describe it so I, don't, uh, so I don't lead your answers. But can it be known? Can this particular claim, 5 plus 7 equals 12, can that be known? Can we know it? You think we can know it? It's just okay. If you say the wrong answer, that's okay. I want people to say the wrong answers, because then otherwise my, my game is no fun. So. so that one we think can be known. That one's pretty good. How about this one? Taylor Swift is a good singer. Can it be known? 100%. Without a doubt, this is one of the things of which we can be most certain. No, no. <laughs> heads are shaking, no. Can it be known? Is this a, so if somebody said, I know that Taylor Swift is a good singer, what would you, would you be inclined to say? Oh, okay, yeah, that's something that you can know. It's opinion. It's opinion? You think it's an opinion? So, so can't be known? Can only be believed? By some people it can be known. By some people it can be known. But, but we call it an opinion. Anybody else want to call this an opinion? Yeah? Opinion? Yeah? Lots of hands up? Yeah? What, okay, so you'd have to ask them what they call good. All right, now you're doing philosophy. All right. Um, 
So are you when you call this an opinion, right? We're, we're doing some philosophy here. So we'd have to ask, what do you mean when you say good, right? Um, there might be one sense of good in which Taylor Swift is a good singer and another sense of good in which she is not. Um, yeah, that's very nice. Yes? You have to establish the criteria of a good singer. Okay, we need to establish the criteria. That's right. So we need to establish the criteria of good singer before we can decide whether Taylor Swift is a good singer. Y'all are starting to sound like Socrates a little bit. All right. I saw another hand over here. Oh, same thing. The criteria. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, some of you, uh, have you heard the name of Thomas Aquinas before? I think maybe I mentioned Thomas Aquinas last week. He's a famous uh, medieval uh, philosopher, theologian from the 12th, 13th century. And uh, one of the things that uh, Aquinas was famous for saying is he would say, he would say, well, there are two senses in which something can be good, right? And then he would go on to give you the two senses, right? And in order to answer the question. And so we might think, well, there's multiple senses in which a singer might be good, say popular, right? Say, um, if we're talking uh, has, about opera. has good vocal range, right? Something like that, uh, has good pitch, um, makes lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift certainly counts on that last one as a good singer, right? Okay, so how about this next one? Can this be known? Water is H2O. Can it be known? Is anybody worried that this might be an opinion like the Taylor Swift good singer? Okay, so you're worried that this is an incomplete kind of knowledge because water's not always H2O, just H2O, okay? So you're worried that maybe we have, you know, we have dirty water, and so, <laughs> and, and so we might, yeah, so, so, so this is, so can it be known? What would you say? Okay, so there, Okay, so there's, there's knowledge to be had here, but maybe we're dealing with something that gets a little bit messy and complicated, and so this is a kind of maybe useful, simplistic way of putting the basic nature of wa not water, and so maybe we can know it, but it's not, it's not perfect knowledge. Yeah, okay, yes? H2O is water, you could say that, okay. Yeah, H2O is water, you could say that. You could make that identity claim. You'd be less worried about the perfection of the claim. Okay? I wasn't trying to get us too deep into the, you know, <laughs> into, into chemistry here. Um, now I'm worried about what else might be in my canopy known game. Cookies and cream ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. Can this be known? <laughs> Absolutely. Anybody think it can't be known? Yeah? Why can't it be known? It's an opinion. It's subjective. Okay, so something maybe similar to the Taylor Swift good singer. Worry. It's an opinion. You have to define your terms of what is better. What is better? Okay, so once again, we need criteria for what counts as good ice cream, right? Um, a high Oreo to ice cream ratio is really important. Uh, what kind of ice cream? Well, it's Bluebell. So. <laughs> so, we can just, so we can just eliminate all the other ice creams uh, right now. I went, I went to graduate school in Texas, so I, we, we, there, there really is no other ice cream. And eventually it's going to make its way back onto our grocery store shelves. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about this next one? God exists. Can that be known? I see some heads nodding. Yes, can be known. Okay, good. So he said, he thinks we need to now start talking about what the word know actually means. We have to talk about what is knowledge. <gasps> that sounds like epistemology. That's one of the sub-disciplines of philosophy we talked about last week. Yeah, so uh, we do have to start talking about what the word know means, right? I mean, we really have to start talking about that with all of these claims, right? So right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to generate your sort of pre-theoretical, pre-philosophical opinions, your beliefs, your, pre your uh, presuppositions about what, what can be known, what's knowledge, right? Um, we haven't talked about what we think it is yet, right? I haven't defined it for us. We haven't um, come to any agreement on that. And so um, just uh, think about this claim. God exists and think, yeah, pre-philosophically, -pre sort of my presupposition is, yeah, that's something that can be known, or no, that's something that is anybody worried it's something that's a little bit more like the cookies and cream is better than the I am. Lindsay is. Lindsay's worried about that. Yeah, you've got to worry about that in the back here. Okay, so some Taylor Swift is a good singer. How is this? Maybe. Okay. Um, oh. How about the next one? Can it be known murder is wrong? Can it be known? Yes. Okay, so you said maybe from a biblical perspective you can know that murder is wrong. You'd have to establish some sort of foundation for, for the belief. Yes. What is murder? Okay, so we're worried about defining what murder is, right? What counts as murder? What about if we just look at this picture here? So for those of you listening on the podcast, the picture is a graphic of CNN, breaking news, Oregon State Police reports of 10 dead at college. So if we were to ask you, that is wrong. Is that wrong? That thing there. If we, didn't call thing it, there. if we didn't call it murder, we didn't describe it, we just said that thing, pointed at it. That thing is wrong. I'm seeing some nodding of heads. Can we know like that? That's the question. Can we know that it's wrong? We're, you're worried we can't. Oh, okay. Just for, yeah, so just from the headline as it was read, we can't know anything. Let's take your understanding of the situation, right? So shooter, unprovoked, kills people on the college campus, um, leads to 10 deaths. Do we, do, is that something that we can know is wrong? Anybody worried we can't know that's wrong?
Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you're a Christian and you're a believer, you have a moral standard. And if you're not a Christian, there's no moral standard? Okay, not necessarily. But your concern is with the fact that if we're going to call something wrong, we have to have a standard by which to judge it. Okay. Yeah, so for the person who doesn't have, doesn't know the moral standard, is, is that enough to know or to subscribe to it? You have to actually subscribe to it maybe to be judged against it? I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, it is. It is very <laughs> complex. You're right, it is complex, yes. yes. Okay, the moral standard to which you hold yourself. Okay. Okay. So, um, what would you be inclined to say about the person who say subscribes to uh, what you call moral relativism? We're actually going to talk about what moral relativism is. Um, what would you say to somebody who subscribed to that view? If they said, well, we can't know that it's wrong. Would you say, well, that's wrong? Or would you say, for you, it's not wrong? Or Okay, you disagree with their claim that it's not wrong. Okay, but because you hold yourself accountable to a different moral stand- standard grounded in the scriptures, so... You think maybe we're at an impasse here? They can't see that it's wrong and, and, and you believe it is? Yeah, that's tough. Okay, now we've got lots of hands coming up. Yeah, okay, good. Um, yes, in the back over there? How do you know it was unprovoked? Uh, well, r- right, so without getting into the details of the incident, which, which I don't think we even know all the details yet, um, you know, in this case, we're just sort of thinking, well, it looks like these were unarmed people who were being shot for, yeah, right, right, yeah, okay, so you think maybe there's justifying considerations we need to take into account, um, would that make it right, though? No? So, so what, I, what I'm hearing you say is that a lot of times we're trying to justify a standard that it seems as though it might be that murder is a more universal moral standard, that it is a, a bad thing, that it is wrong, but that we have certain groups, specifically ISIS, that is saying, well, murder in this case is okay because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lots of hands, and, and that's good. You but all we're are gonna, really good we, philosophers. This is good. <laughs> This is good, but now we need to uh, actually get to some of, the, some of what we had to say so that we can really talk about it. Um, how about this one? Can this be known? Jesus is Lord. Is this like God exists? Is this like murder is wrong? Huh? Yes? 
what you mean by no. Okay, so you have to say what you mean by no. Oh, okay, so there's certain historical facts that can be known about Jesus, but maybe not his lordship? Maybe not? Okay. Can't, okay, can it be proven? So we're worried about can it be proven, right? Maybe, uh, maybe a certain kind of proof is required for knowledge, and maybe we can have that kind of proof with respect to some things about Jesus, died, crucified, resurrected, um, something like that, but maybe we can't have the same kind of proof with respect to this claim, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, question about that? These are all things that can be known. We make the individual choice as to whether or not we want to know them or whether or not able to Okay, so he said uh, these are things that can be known, but then we make a choice about whether or not we accept them as true. Um, Yes. God calls all of us. He calls every human being. And so we have to realize that as Christians, that he calls everyone. It is whether or not we respond to him. Okay. And in responding to him, then we know that Jesus is good. Okay. So God calls all of us and, and some some respond and there's choice involved, and maybe some of us respond and some, some don't. Uh, some who are called respond and some don't. Yes, the front. I'm not saying no, but how do we know Jesus is Lord How would we know Jesus is Lord over the claim, say, that Allah is God? Yeah, good question. Okay, so levels of knowledge, certainty is a worry here, right? I mean... Can we have knowledge without certainty? Good, good. These are all great, great suggestions. This, this is good. This is, you, you all are getting at a lot of the issues that, uh, that we wanted to discuss this morning, and all we're doing is playing my Can It Be, can it be Known game. It's working. This is wonderful. Uh, can this be known? The ma- this mountain scene is beautiful. What do you think? Define, okay, define beautiful. You're not going to let me off the hook. You're making me define everything. <laughs> Uh, opinion, somebody said. It's an opinion. So this is like Taylor Swift is a good singer. Opinion. Cookies and cream ice cream is better than vanilla. This, this scene is beautiful. Yeah. It seems like it's sort of in a certain sense. And C.S. Lewis appeals to this in mere Christianity that, that there's, a, there's sort of a, a moral law that we all recognize about, you know, like what is right or what is wrong. Um, and, and it seems like Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna try to say just what you said because you said lots of things I think are are really great. Um, I'm trying to not put it in my own words. So you said C.S. Lewis says something about this in Mere Christianity about there being a moral law that all people can recognize, and you think even though the picture might not do it justice, if you get placed in this kind of a scene 
in, you know, actual nature, it's hard not to go, whoa. There's something common amongst humans where we recognize truth in some way. And I like the idea that it has something to do with us going, whoa. I really, I really, I really do. I'm not making fun. I really do. Why like that idea? Yes. Well, it might still be beautiful, but I don't think you'd be paying attention. Yeah, I think, I think you'd, you'd have other things on your mind. Um, uh, yeah, you'd be a little distracted if you were drowning in the lake while, while facing the, the beautiful scene. I just um, want to point something out. Um, you all are incredible at doing philosophy already. And so one thing I just wanted to say is, I, you know, we came into this class, we were talking about philosophy and metaphysics and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, those are big words. You guys know what these are. You've, you've already been thinking this way. So this idea of epistemology, if you break it down, it means the study of knowledge. And you're all asking very good questions that show me and show us, um, and it shouldn't be a surprise to you, that you're already thinking this way. We're just trying to systematize it a little bit and almost understand it from kind of a, a big picture perspective. Right, that's one of the things we talked about last week that philosophers do, right? They take pre-philosophical presuppositions, assumptions, and then try to clarify them a little bit, try to relate them to each other, try to articulate what they are, right? Try to get them, uh, get them, get them codified, right? Put them together into a sort of a system of belief, right? That we can make sense of. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do. So what we've just done with this little can it be known game is we've elicited some of your Pre-philosophical, I mean, some of, you know, some of these may be based on some fairly rigorous philosophical uh, uh, reading or, or thinking that you've done on these issues, um, but we've tried to get your, your presuppositions going so that then we can try to make some sense of them, right, and see where some of these ideas might be coming from and whether they fit together nicely, right, and so that's where we're going. So, um, so the good news is we're going to make some progress toward answering this question that many of you have raised, what is knowledge? <laughs> some progress. We're probably not going get, to uh, get all the way there. But uh, do you want to walk them through this? All right. So this is one, one popular philosophical proposal. This is not the only one on the table. Um, but it is one popular philosophical proposal that dates all the way back to Plato. Okay? This goes all the way back to um, ancient uh, Greek philosophy. And that is this. Knowledge equals true belief formed in the right way. Now, this is sort of a vague term, formed in the right way, um, but the reason I'm using it is because philosophers cannot and have not since Plato been able to agree on what counts as being formed in the right way. So there's been much uh, debate about uh, what, what we should say if truth and belief are two of the components of knowledge, what this third component ought to be, right? So let's call this the, the true belief plus model of knowledge, theory of knowledge, right? And we'll just sort of leave open-ended this idea of what the plus is, right? What this other thing that gets added on to true belief is. But it's something like, well, you can't just have a true belief accidentally, right? You can't just have it by accident. In fact, that's one of the proposals uh, that contemporary philosophers have put on the table. It's non-accidental true belief, right? Um, turns out there are problems with that. Uh, but, but the idea is you can't just get at a true belief by, you know, a hunch. You can't just get at a true belief um, by some sort of really unreliable belief-producing mechanism. Um, something like, you know, if I look at the clock and the clock's been stopped 
at 2.22 p.m., right? It's, it stopped at 2.22, and I happen to look at the clock at 2.22, but it's been stopped for three weeks. And I look at the clock, and I go, oh, it's 2.22. Guess what? I've got a true belief, right? really is true that it's 2.22, but I got it by looking at a clock that's been stopped for three weeks, and the battery ran out, right? Does that count as knowledge? Can I know that the clock, or that it's 2.22? That's, that's tricky, right? Some people think, well, I got it accidentally. I got it by trusting this unreliable clock. Yes. So that, that's an excellent point. So what you're saying is you observed through our discussion before this that a lot of people are very comfortable saying things that are in the realm of science can be provable and anything outside of science is off limits from being known. Um, and, and what you're saying is, is you're not necessarily making a claim of whether that's true or not, but you're noticing that we have that sort of proclivity and we need to pay attention to that. That's actually very relevant to what we're going to talk about right. um, so, today. So one of the popular sort of uh, 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 cultural conceptions of knowledge might be that it's true belief known through some sort of scientific method, right? So maybe that's the known in the right way, right? Maybe in order to be knowledge, it's got to be scientifically provable, verifiable, right? And, and, and that is a very popular way of thinking about knowledge. Uh, so what's truth? Well, this is an equally uh, difficult question to answer philosophically, but another uh, popular philosophical proposal is that truth is a kind of correspondence with reality. What it is for a, a claim, a proposition, a statement, a belief to be true is that it actually corresponds with the way things really are right, in the world. So this theory of truth assumes that there is a way things really are in the world right? and that our beliefs, our statements, our claims can actually map on to that way things really are. It can represent them in the right sort of way. It can be about them in the right sort of way, right? Um, so that's one popular philosophical proposal, and we can sort of take that um, not, as, not as necessarily definitive, but I think we can take that as a sort of rough starting point in thinking about, now, what would count as knowledge, and could we have knowledge in the realm of uh, morality and spirituality? Here's another claim that I think we should start off with, and that's that knowledge doesn't equal certainty. So the, the idea of certainty was brought up, right? There's worry about how certain do you have to be um, in order for something to be knowledge. Uh, here, certainty means something like absolute certainty beyond any doubt, right? Beyond any possible doubt. Um, there's a famous philosopher, uh, Rene Descartes, who thought he was worried that some of his beliefs weren't very well-founded, and so he thought, well, I'm going to try and prove everything that I believe from things, starting from things about which I am absolutely certain. And so he started getting rid of any of his beliefs, right? He started this sort of project of trying to eliminate any of his beliefs or at least set them aside if he thought he could doubt them, if there was any way he could possibly doubt them. And so he came up with this hypothesis about, well, um, does it, does anybody know anything about Descartes? Anybody know about how he goes about this process of 
getting rid of some beliefs. How does he do it? What's one of the things that he does to so try and get? Oh, you just eliminated all the doubt stuff, right? So he, he gets, you got right to what he, he does believe, right? What he does think he can be certain about. He says, well, he says, well maybe I'm dreaming, right? I, I think I'm in this room full of you all, but, you know, this could be a really vivid dream, right? So I, I guess I should doubt that belief, right? There, uh, that there's stuff out there in the world besides me, I don't know. Yeah, that could be, I could be being deceived by some powerful, you know, demon. Um, so maybe, maybe... I, I can't really believe anything about the external world, but there is one thing Descartes thought he was absolutely certain of, and that was that he exists, that he's a thinking thing, because there's no way you can be wrong about being a thinking thing, can you? If you're thinking that I'm a think, thinking that I'm a thinking thing, can I be wrong about that? No, I can't, because if I were wrong, I wouldn't be thinking it, right? Ooh, I've got something I'm absolutely certain of. There's no way I could possibly be wrong about this. I'm a thinking thing. That must, therefore, I must exist. And so here we get Descartes' famous phrase. Anybody know Descartes' famous phrase? I think, therefore, I am. Cogito, Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am, right? That was the one thing he thought he could be absolutely certain about. And then he went to, on, to like, build back on all of his beliefs. Onto that. He thought, because I'm a thinking thing, now I can prove everything else from this certain foundation. Well, everybody pretty much in the history of philosophy since Descartes thinks he was right in thinking that he couldn't be certain about just about anything. Everybody also thinks he pretty much was wrong that he could build back in his entire system of belief and be certain about it all, right? So the skeptical project work, right? The project of thinking that he couldn't know all of these things with certainty worked. Um, the positive project of trying to build them all back in, uh, not so good. Um, so Descartes, Descartes wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, what we just have to say here is we, we can know some stuff. There's stuff about the world that we can know, and we don't have to be absolutely certain about it to know it. It doesn't have to be beyond any possibility of doubt for us to know it. We know... Just about everything that we know is something that we could doubt. I mean, that, that there's a podium here that I'm touching a you know, hard piece of wood is something I could doubt. I could be dreaming. This could be just a vivid you know, imagination of mine, right? Um, but why think that? Why think that knowledge requires that kind of certainty? So how do we know? Well, a lot of what we know, we know by authority and testimony. How many of you know that there's a country called China in the world? Yeah? Yeah? How many of you have been there? Well, that was a like, surprising equality of hands that went up. So only those of you who have been to China know that China exists. I'm sure there are more of you who know that China exists. You're worried. You're worried I'm going to catch you in a trap. This is some sort of a philosopher's trap. If I say I know it exists, he's going to tell me I don't. No, we know that China exists. I know that China exists. I've never been there. How do I know that it exists? You hosted a Chinese exchange student that came from China? How do you know? A forms. Oh, he had forms. He could prove it. He had forms. There must be a place called China. 
because the exchange didn't add forms. No, right, we could doubt all of this, right? We could come up with some sort of a conspiracy theory. Everybody's trying to make us think there's this place called China and there really isn't. Oh, but that would be silly, wouldn't it, right? We know that China exists. How do we know? Well, because people have been there and told us about it, right? They've written about it in history books and they put it on maps and it's on globes and these are authorities we can trust, right? This is, and if we wanted to, we could get on a plane and go there and check it out for ourselves, but we don't have to to know it, right? We don't have to to know it. <laughs> all of, yeah, all of my stuff says made in China. There must be And the be a guy place holds up China. the iPhone. <laughs> okay. I know, I know. Yeah, we've got we to we move along here. So another way that we can know things is through reason, just by thinking hard about stuff, right? How do you figure out that 5 plus 7 equals 12? Well, the, the first time you figured it out, you probably were thinking about like apples and oranges and you put the, you know, how many pieces of fruit do you have, right? And you counted them up, right? And, but then once you sort of figure out what numbers do, right? You can do all kinds of really cool math problems just by thinking about them, right? You don't have to put like apples and oranges in front of you to figure out, you know, what 32 plus 50 is, right? But you all can figure out. <laughs> Some of you might need to put apples and oranges in front of you and count them. Uh, in order to figure out what 32 plus 50 is. Um, but we can just reason, we can think hard about stuff. We also know a lot through experience. And here I've put a couple of different kinds of experience on the board. I think we can know things through perception. I think we can know things through emotion. This is why I got kind of excited when he said that one of the ways maybe that we know that the mountain might be beautiful is that we go, whoa, what an awesome mountain. Maybe that's a way we can know things? Maybe. Yeah, Plato doesn't think so. Uh, Plato's wrong too. So popular views of spiritual and moral truth and knowledge. Here's one of them. Moral relativism. Moral relativism says moral truth is, either, is relative to individuals or culture, cultures, right? Uh, the, the most popular form of moral relativism is that morals are sort of defined by what culture you live in, right? What's right for you is determined by the culture that you find yourself a part of. Um, there is no absolute moral truth that's true for everyone everywhere at all times, right? Morality just depends on the kind of situation you find yourself in culturally. We're going to talk about that. Another popular view is moral skepticism. There might be moral truths. I mean, there might actually be a way things are, right? So when I'm using truth, the term truths here, it's, I, t I told you truth is sort of correspondence with reality. So I'm using truth here to mean something like a way things really are, right? Um, so the moral skeptic says there might be a way things actually are. There might be an actual right and wrong that's true for everybody. It might be that you know, murder really is wrong for everybody, no matter what kind of a culture they're uh, from. But we can't know it. We can't, there's no way for us to know, have any kind of confidence in our belief that we've got it right. Why might somebody be a moral skeptic or a moral relativist? Yeah. So there might be a worry about being accountable for, for their own immorality, right? They don't want to say that you can know morality because then they're worried that they'd be held accountable to that standard. Why else might somebody? So that's kind of a, a negative reason for wanting to be a moral skeptic or a moral relativist. Can you think of a positive reason for wanting to be a moral skeptic or a moral relativist? Yeah. Well, we have known conditional morality. So you've got like somebody who's starving 
eats, but then somebody who's a glutton overeats, and so eating can be conditional, uh, conditionally good or, or bad. Okay, eating can be conditionally good or bad, and so maybe... Maybe a lot of morality is conditional. Maybe a lot of morality is conditional like that. Okay, yeah? So essentially you're saying the world is a really complex place. There's a lot of different people that do a lot of different things. And so in our attempt to understand that difference, understand the variance, and there's an incredible variance in customs and moral norms, in, in, in order to understand that, we might need to have a sort of a maybe an attitude of humility to say, hey, I might not understand all of that. And so in my attempt to sort of put that understanding with morality, it may be that moral relativism looks kind of attractive. So that's a positive reason why moral relativism seems to be um, valid. There's related to that, oh, Harley, you want to jump in? Yeah, so she said, how, how could you be so overconfident or proud and think that you know, right, and everybody else has got it wrong. Everybody who disagrees with you has got it wrong, but you've got it right. And related to that, we might worry about our own sort of cultural morality, right? It's very easy to think Americans have got all, all these things figured out, right? We don't have to go very far back in history to see that there were some things that we were really wrong about as a culture, right? Really wrong, right? And people thought they were right, right? People really thought it was okay to own slaves. They even used the Bible to justify it, right? So when we start thinking we're really right about something, right? some people get worried about that and think, well, we ought to just back off. And maybe we shouldn't think we're really right about it. Okay, he said, <laughs> those of you who didn't hear, uh, he said Julian Huxley was quoted as saying he didn't want there to be God because if there were a God, it would, uh, it would conflict with the way he wanted, uh, what was it, morality, politics, and finance to work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so this is again, uh, sort of a negative reason, right? This is a negative reason for wanting to be a, a moral skeptic, a moral relativist, yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe we can avoid conflict by believing in moral skepticism, moral relativism, then we won't have people fighting with each other, trying to figure out who's right. Yeah, that's, that is one of the reasons why many people find these views attractive. Uh, on the spiritual knowledge side of things, we might have a, a similar kind of a view, religious skepticism. There might be spiritual truths, but we can't know them. And again, a lot of the reason why many people are attracted to a kind of religious skepticism is that they think, um, there's just too many religions out there. How would you know, How would you know that Jesus is Lord um, and that Allah is not God? Yeah. Okay, so uh, the suggestion was that maybe 
underlying all of these views is just sort of a, an unwillingness to really think deeply about these views and maybe where some of these views lead. That a sort of superficial belief in these ideas, right? This is sort of the popular orthodoxy, right? Yeah, this seems right. It seems like a nice thing to believe. Um, but have people really thought deeply and carefully about these views? Well, that's one of the things that we're hoping to do in our very short time that we have left this morning. So, moral relativism has some things to commend it, right? You might think it's going to help us to avoid conflict. It's going to help us be more tolerant of others. Um, but here's, here's a worry about moral relativism. Moral relativism is actually inconsistent with the claim that all people should be tolerant of others. It's inconsistent with the claim that conflict, for example, is bad. That we should avoid conflict. Why is it inconsistent with that claim? Well, because if all people should be tolerant, that's an absolute truth that holds for everybody at all times and all places, right? If conflict is worth avoiding, that's a truth that is inconsistent with moral relativism. That's an absolute truth. Questions about that? I see a quizzical look. Yes. Okay. Okay, so all humans desire something moral, and what's the relation to moral relativism? We all want something moral, and that's what leads people even into their moral relativism. Yeah, I actually think that's probably right. I think that is probably right. Um, I mean, I think, I think people do know that it's good to treat other people kindly and with respect. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Follow up. I, th I think most people who are attracted to moral relativism are attracted to it because they believe that people should be tolerant to others. And they think that moral relativism is going to help people to be more tolerant, right? If you stop being so confident in your moral views, and you stop thinking that there's some truth that you've gotten to somehow, um, and other people haven't, that that's going to make you a, a kinder, more loving person, a more tolerant person. Um, but of course, that's only a good thing if there is moral truth, and one of those moral truths is people should be tolerant and kind and loving, right? Yeah. Yes? Oh, good question. So your question is, is there a difference between moral relativism sort of like theoretically, like we're talking about it now, and then moral relativism in practice? So do moral relativists really exist? Um, probably not, actually. Yeah, probably when pushed, not. the moral relativist is actually, many who say that they're moral relativists are actually going to end up having a line in the sand where they're going to say, you know what, you cross that, that's wrong. All this other stuff, maybe I don't know, but here, I know that that's wrong. Now, the other, the other possibility is that someone really is a moral relativist and they're saying, you know what, everything goes. And if everything goes, that's a, the consequence of that is a very barbaric and uh, heinous world. Yeah, it, so very good. I mean, this is a great question. And I think one of the things that we could take away from this idea is that 
maybe it's possible to actually hold some views, moral views, confidently. Like, yeah, murder's wrong. It's really bad to murder people. You shouldn't do it. Nobody should do it. I don't care what your culture says, right? And yet have some humility because, look, people who have been really confident in their moral views in the past have been wrong about things, right? And so as Christians, I think it's really important that we be confident in what we know to be true through experience, through reason, through authority and testimony. And one of the authorities and testimonies that we trust, in fact, the, the most important authority testimony that we trust, is that of Scripture. And so if we know something to be true through authority or testimony or through reason or through experience, especially if we know something to be true through all of those different sources of knowledge, we should be very confident in that belief and yet hold our belief with humility and not use our confidence that we know something as a reason for treating other people badly. And there's a way of treating other people badly physically. There's also a way of treating other people badly intellectually, right? arguing with them in a way that doesn't respect them right? as a human being, as a rational person, as somebody made in God's image who's trying to get to the truth. Right? And so maybe there's a way that we can actually humbly be confident that we know some things about morality and spirituality. One thing to just keep in mind, too, and I think this was mentioned by someone, but this idea that if you're not a Christian, you don't have morals. And, and I would say that that's a very concerning view because it could be that someone might not be a believer in Jesus Christ, but they could be a very moral person. In fact, maybe moral than me, maybe moral, more moral than you. And so I think that's where the humility comes in. And I think this is actually where what's really important about the gospel is kind of exemplified. What's really important about the gospel is not that we follow all the rules just right. It's not that we are the most moral people on the earth, although that is a very important component in terms of us following Jesus. Really what the gospel means is that we've been transformed and we've been given life with Christ. You know, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily the most moral. Now, I think um, if we are who Jesus calls us to be, our life will reflect that, and it will be a moral life. But we just have to remember that there are other people out there that actually are in very, very incredibly moral. And I think one of the concerns with Christians is that sometimes we think of everybody else as not being good enough and that we're somehow the example. And I think all of us in this room can agree we are very fallible, we are flawed, and we make big mistakes. Um, and so this whole journey that we're doing with philosophy is for us to think carefully and deeply not in a sloppy manner, but in a very careful manner about why we believe what we believe, what actually is the essence of our faith. It's not just morality, although morality is a component. Good. We are, we are almost out of time. We've had some really good discussion here today, and so what I want to do now is leave you with a couple of more reasons to think that a, that a th- that moral relativism, theoretically, it just, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Even if you think it's a good idea because you think maybe it's going to help people be more tolerant, at the end of the day, um, there's just too many phys- philosophical problems with the view. Um, and here's another one, that if, it, if relativism is true, then Jesus isn't morally superior to Hitler. Because, look, Hitler lived in a culture, a Nazi culture, that thought that his treatment of the Jewish people and others was wrong, or was okay. It was morally permissible. So does that mean it was right for him? I, I hope not, right? 
I think we all know that it wasn't right for him. Uh, it wasn't right for anybody. Um, and so to say that morality is relative um, looks problematic on that, on that count. And then if moral relativism is true, then moral progress is impossible. So if moral relativism is true, then the culture gets to define what's morally right and wrong, which means that a culture that adopts slavery as a morally permissible practice is no worse off, morally speaking, than a culture uh, that abolishes slavery, that has no slavery, that treats all humans as equal and doesn't allow the ownership of people. Right? But clearly, I think, we ought to think, the abolition of slavery is progress. It's moral progress. It's better. A culture that goes from thinking that slavery is okay and owning slaves to a culture that no longer owns slaves and no longer thinks that uh, owning slaves is okay, that's a, that's a, that's a positive move. Right? That's a move in the right direction. But according to moral relativism, it can't be. It's just a change. It's sort of a morally neutral change. Um, in fact, the people who fight for the change, they might be the ones who are bad because they're fighting against the, uh, the sort of uh, prevailing cultural morality of the day. Okay, so uh, we haven't yet um, gotten all the way through our discussion of uh, moral skepticism and religious skepticism, and so I think what we ought to do is next Sunday start there. Um, let's start there. Our topic for next Sunday was going to be what is happiness? Do we have a right to be happy? Um, and I think we still may have time to get into that discussion, uh, but I think this is an important discussion, and you all had so, so many good things to say about it uh, today that I'd really like to um, stay, stay on this topic just a little bit further next Sunday and finish up with this discussion of how can we know, is there a way that we can know um, things about morality, uh, things about religion. Um, before we close uh, today, uh, if you would, um, let's commit this uh, time that we've just had together and the thoughts uh, that we're sharing with each other and um, the thoughts that we're going to continue to have hopefully uh, throughout the week about this material and next week uh, to the Lord. So if you would, just bow your heads and we'll pray. Dear God, thank you so much for, for loving us and for showing us what true love is by sending your son Jesus to die for us so that we might be saved from our sin, from the darkness of our hearts, from the evil that we do and the evil that we feel and the evil that we think, and that we might be brought back into a right relationship with you, our creator, our heavenly father who loves us and who wants us to be united with you in love and in peace. We thank you for giving us minds to think. Thank you for helping us to reason. Pray that you would enliven our minds with the light of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see the truth, that you would open our eyes to the truth, that you would help us learn how to communicate truth in a way that is loving and persuasive and honoring to you. I ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.